0: Welcome and bienvenidos to our new program called Next Generation, highlighting the many creative journeys of next generation leaders. In this series, I will bring you the stories of young leaders in science, literature, medicine, education, and business. Those who have chosen to reach further, travel farther, innovate, and take the risks often necessary to make a difference in their own lives, in those of their families, their communities, and someday in the world. My name is Julieta Garcia. For over 22 years, I had the great privilege of serving as president of the University of Texas at Brownsville. Through that work, I came to know the stories of many of our students that overcame great obstacles to attend college and through great sacrifice of their own and of their families, make it through. Getting to know their stories was always a great inspiration to me. So I thought I'd chase some of them down, interview them, and let you hear in their own words what they're up to now, what their challenges were and what they hope to accomplish in the future. I promise you will be as inspired, amazed, and humbled by their accomplishments as I have been. Now let's get started. We have the great pleasure today to be interviewing Yvette Garcia. Uh, Yvette started out as a young child at Texas Southmost College in the daycare center in about 1980. eighty seven for a couple of years uh was being taken care of by our child care center because her mother Olga Garcia, worked at Texas Southmost College. Yvette, are you there?
1: I am oh, thank it's... you for having me Dr Garcia.
0: Al contrario, thank you so much for your patience and and uh with our our program today and for Green to be part of the story of next generation graduates. I'm going to go ahead and, and try to recall some of the, the, the your path toward where you are today. So um, you were at the university as a young child at the at the community college, and your mom was working there. And so total, um, she worked for a long, long time there. How long did she work at both the college and the years. university? 32 years. 32. <laughs> yes, ma'am. So your whole she growing started
1: up. started as a... Yes. She started as a work study there and then um, eventually moved to information technology there at um, what was known as UT Brownsville.
0: That's right. And she became known to many, many people because she was our connector. If you could get yes. all I got to see as attention, you were connected to the world. <laughs> and so everybody was yes. very gracious to your mom and she was very generous with her skills to us, with us. And so mm-hmm. you grew up really on a campus then in many ways.
1: Yes, I did. I remember um, when she would take me on on to the university, like in the weekends, if she had to do some stuff, I would go to her, her work there, sit down, I would use her little board that she had while she did stuff for work. So Uh a lot of memories there at the university.
0: That's wonderful. And so during that time, you had to begin to imagine yourself at the university. Did that begin Mm -hmm. to spark some interest for you?
1: Yes, um, as a very young child, uh, my mom had me in a lot of the programs that the university had to offer. So, you know, I was always involved, got to see what the university programs had, you know, see the different things that they offered there. Um, So, initially, when I first, um, I guess, was in college, I I was thinking I was going to go to UT Brownsville. uh, But I eventually ended up at UT Pan American, or what was known as UT Pan American.
0: And so let's talk about that for a minute. You were first at, uh, at Hannah High. You were in their magnet mm-hmm. program for the uh, health professions. Is that yes, right? Ma'am. Yes, and, and some And tell us about the influence one counselor might have had on you and your direction for for study.
1: So um, uh, Mr. Samora, um, he was one, my, my high school counselor. And actually, I guess to go a little further back, he was my science teacher at Stell Middle mm. School. Hmm. and he eventually moved to Homer Hanna High School, and um, he was a counselor there for the, for the magnet program, and my um, jun- senior year of high school, he knew that I really wanted to be a pharmacist, and um, he told me about the uh, cooperative pharmacy program at UT Pan American, and he told me that he thought I would be a great fit for the program and, and um, encouraged me to apply.
0: And so you did, and how many students were accepted into that program? Because it was a very hard program to get into, as I recall.
1: Yes, there were 12 students that were accepted every year.
0: Okay, so you were one of 12 that got into the Mm -hmm. pharmacy program, and you had had uh, some experience at at a pharmacy here in Brownsville working, Autry Pharmacy.
1: Yes, ma'am. I did my rotations there at, at Autry Pharmacy my senior year. high school.
0: And is that what finally made you uh, think that maybe that was going to be your path and not another medical profession?
1: Yes. Um, My experience there at Autry Pharmacy was just such a great experience. And I saw what pharmacists could offer to the community that I decided that's what I wanted to do. And I guess when I grew up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the, so as I recall, the intent of that program was to kind of grow our own pharmacist, to take Mm -hmm. students um, from the Valley, and um, the very best students, and run them through a very long six-year, very rigorous program, and then hope that they would stay in the Valley. Do you know Mm -hmm. if that happened for most of the students that were in that program?
1: Yes, uh, from all of my classmates, everyone stayed in the South Texas region. Um, Some of us are in Laredo, some of us in San Antonio, and then the others are all here in the Rio Grande Valley.
0: So that worked, that magic worked. Mm -hmm. So you started out at UT Pan American for two years, and then what?
1: Mm -hmm. And then went to UT Austin, uh, where we did two years there at the university. And then the last two years of pharmacy school, we came back to UT Pan American where we did community service um, here in the Rio Grande Valley, and then we also did um, some uh, classes through telecommunications with UT Austin.
0: So going to UT Austin then as a junior uh, had to be a bit of a shock on many different levels to you. Tell us about that.
1: So when I first moved to UT Austin, I want to say I was about 20 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, It was the first time moving away from home. Um, Because when I was living here at at Edinburgh at UT Pan American, I would drive home every weekend. Um, And then when I moved to UT Austin, I couldn't come home as often as I would. So it was a culture shock. The campus was very large, um, just different cultures that... Um, different people that we didn't I didn't get to see while I was here at, in Edinburgh mm-hmm. um, so it was um, it was very different Then I got to you know you live alone it's it's uh, yeah like you said it's it's a it's a shock when you move to a bigger city
0: and so when you got really lonely how did you get home to visit
1: I would take the Greyhound bus back home.
0: <laughs> the friendly Greyhound bus got me home, huh? Yes.
1: Yes. There are several stops on the way down. Uh-huh. But, um, and my mom would, you know, sometimes say, like, you don't have to come down. I'm like, but I want to see you all. You know, I was, it was uh, I guess, homesick. Yeah. So I would come on the bus back home and, and visit the family.
0: That's wonderful. You'll do anything once in a while for, for some uh, local food, for your mother's food, and an yes. embrace from somebody. So w- yes. was it was it hard for you at UT Austin academically?
1: It was. Um, I I think here at, I mean UT Pan American. My first two years, I at the time I guess I didn't think it was. Um, as rigorous the mm-hmm. curriculum. I was mm-hmm. able to handle it. Um, and then moving to UT Austin, you know, um, it's just, I, it was a lot different. Mm-hmm. Um, my study habits had to change, um, before, you know, I would study, you know, a week or two before an exam. And at UT Austin, I felt I was studying every single day. Um, uh, my <laughs> life was at the library. Um, and, and I think that's just because, you know, the first semester you're getting used to living on your own. You're mm-hmm. getting used to being without, you know, close family around. And so then you, you add the academic part of it and, you know, I, I felt like I was drowning a little.
0: And um, I think everybody goes through that, right? And they, they call it the, sometimes we think we're the first ones to ever go through that in our family. And we don't know mm-hmm. that everybody's gone through it at some point or another. Now, was there, was, was there a moment when you said, you know, I think I'm not cut out for this. I think I'm gonna go home.
1: Yeah, um, the fir- my first semester of pharmacy school, I want to say it was a little before finals. Um, I had gotten a few failing grades in one of my courses, and I called my mom and I told her, you know what, I was crying at the time, and I'm like, I'm I'm not I'm quitting. I'm not going to do this. I don't want to be a pharmacist. I'm coming home, and she's like, Yvette, what are you <laughs> going to do if you come home? I'm like, I don't know. I'll think of something. Um, You know, I'll go back to school. I'll change, Mm -hmm. you know, careers. And she's like, you know, keep going. Don't give up. I believe in you. You know, you know, don't just don't give up. And at the time, you know, it's funny because, you know, I yes, a C is it's a passing grade and I didn't have C's. I had D's. And my mom's like, well, at least you tried or you're almost there. <laughs> I'm like, mom, I mean, that's not really the encouragement you want to give me. Um, but yeah, but that was the point where, you know, she told me not to give up. And I said, you know what, I, I can't. Yeah. I, I need yeah. to keep trying and try my best. And she and she said, you know, try your best. And if you decide after this semester, this is something you really do not want to do, then then we'll be behind you. But I know this is what you want to do. So don't give up.
0: That was good advice, wasn't it, Yvette?
1: It was. It yeah. was. I know. I think to myself now, you know, what if? What would I have done if I had, you know, actually just come home instead of, you know, keep keep on going?
0: So, So we won't have to go down that path because you did graduate. You did yes. well. And now you have been a pharmacist for, what, 10 years or so?
1: Yes, I graduated in 2008, so 10 years.
0: 10 years. Isn't that wonderful? Well, persistence pays off, doesn't it? It does. It does. <laughs> and so uh, now you are a pharmacy preceptor for fourth year mm-hmm. pharmacy students, uh, which means mm-hmm. you kind of take them under your wing. How do you, what yes. does that, uh, what does that entail?
1: So um, either like their last year of pharmacy school students, they choose to be at different sites um, so they can a pharmacy for example Mm -hmm. and what we do is we give students the opportunity to see what it's like to be a pharmacist like so what on a day-to-day basis what is it that we do Um, they can see real life experiences they get to see what patients that we see and then we also teach them from our our experiences so Mm -hmm. You know there's a lot of students that over the years I've learned things in the profession that I give advice to them like you're gonna you're going to see this or you know these are things that you want to think of when you go on your next rotation because students have rotations of six weeks long so they get to experience different parts of pharmacy and then they can decide where they want to practice.
0: It's very interesting because sometimes we think of pharmacy as only the kind at uh, Walgreens or at an HEB but your mm-hmm. pharmacy has been in hospitals. Yes. And how does that differ from uh, the, what the pharmacists might do on the on the in the more commercial areas?
1: Um, so hospital pharmacy is a little different mm-hmm. in that um, we get so the, the hospital, for example, is in acute so and it's acute disease states that we're trying to manage. Mm. So a patient comes in and they i'm trying to think of an example but they can get for example an infection in -hmm. their blood Mm -hmm. um, that we need to treat acutely so what we do is a a physician will write an order for a medication or or several medications and what we do is we evaluate that patient so every patient is different so we're going to evaluate a patient's renal function we're going to evaluate their kidney function um, their other disease states. So we tie all that together and make sure that the patient's getting the appropriate medication for the disease state that's bringing them into the hospital.
0: That's that's a very, very interesting. And so uh, you are at a hospital in, is it Edinburgh? McAllen. In McAllen. Tell us the name of the hospital.
1: Mm-hmm. Rio Grande Regional Hospital.
0: Rio Grande. And you are the pharmacy manager in charge. Is that right?
1: Yes. So there's the the pharmacy director and then myself. I'm the pharmacy manager.
0: Okay. And so what does a pharmacy manager do at a hospital?
1: So my role in the hospital is um, I'm the clinical manager. So what we do is we try to see the needs of the hospital or the patients, Mm -hmm. and we try to bring service lines that the pharmacy can offer. Mm -hmm. Um, If there's a service line that we want to implement, then my role would be to get that service line accepted by the physicians, the hospital staff, the medical staff. And Mm -hmm. then I try to, I educate the pharmacist to that service line. So um, like uh, an example I could give you is um, dosing of medications, for example. Mm -hmm. If that's a service line that we want to offer, then, you know, we get that approved by the medical staff and then we educate the pharmacist to say, this is the service line we're providing. And now, you know, this is what we need to do for our patients.
0: That's just really interesting. I don't think most people understand the complexity and the difference, really, between the kind of pharmacy work that you would do there versus someone might do um, at, uh, at another kind of pharmacy, um, not at a hospital. So you do mm-hmm. dosing medication, which in, involves kind of confirming and affirming the diagnosis the doctor has made with the medication and the dosage that is being given to the stu- to the um, to the patient, the patient, along with whether or not other bodily functions are reacting to the medication. Is that right?
1: huh. So we look at basically it's the the overall picture. Mm-hmm. You know, what is this patient here for, and what's happening acutely, mm-hmm. and we adjust medications to that.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. That's that's really quite uh, an awful lot of authority, and and uh, and quite a broad purview for a pharmacist to have. And again, I don't think mm-hmm. we recognize how how complicated that can be. So, as if that weren't enough, you also now um, have something to do with the Navy. Tell us about that work.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I am a Navy reservist uh, here at in Harlingen, Texas. Um, I've been a reservist for uh, let's see, three years and maybe six to seven months. Yeah. Um, and I'm the officer in charge of my, of my unit.
0: And so you have a unit of how many men and women?
1: Uh, we have 12, uh, unit, so 12, 12 members in our unit.
0: Okay. And tell me what a unit is in reserve ready, readying for.
1: So um, there, so there's different units in in, in the reserves. Mm-hmm. Um, my unit it's is a medical unit. Okay. So the members of my unit, I have uh, corpsmen, hospital corpsmen, that pr- you know provide medical care, and I also have um, sailors that are you know supply people that are culinary specialists. So if we in the event that we were to get deployed, we can provide all those services to um, like a larger force a military for a larger military force. But our main, I guess, unit, if I'm trying to explain it, is is medical. We we are a medical unit.
0: You're a medical unit. And so you're in constant readiness, is my understanding, for what they might call tier one uh, deployment?
1: Yes. So um, my, my unit, for example, is an expeditionary um, medical force. Um, and in October, we're a tier one, which tier one readiness, which means um, we can get deployed in 10 days notice. So what we're preparing for until then is to make sure we have our trainings and make sure we have um, you know, vaccinations, make sure we ha- we're physically ready um, in the event we were to get called.
0: So how do you practice? How do you ready for deployment like that? Is it all done here in the Valley or do is it also supplemented with uh, elsewhere?
1: It's it's simple. It's here in the valley, but it's also mm-hmm. supplemented elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, every year we have annual training, and um, depending on on what annual training you get chosen for, we have uh, members that go to cold weather training, for example. Mm. We have members that uh, get hot weather training, which you know we set up medical tents in a remote area, and we mm. you know learn to do everything that we don't have the opportunity mm. to do in say a smaller training uh, training unit.
0: So once a year or more times than that you go to training for the reserve
1: um, it, so it depends okay. um, we have to I guess are required to do two weeks of annual training mm-hmm. but we can get supplemented to to get more than that so um, for example you can if you are selected then you go for longer than two weeks you can go for a month um, two months it, it really just depends on on what the needs of the Navy are.
0: So you, okay, so you have a full-time job then at Rio Grande Regional Hospital as a pharmacy manager, and then you are an officer in the Navy Reserve, and you're in charge mm-hmm. of a unit, and because you have so much time left over, <laughs> you're mm-hmm. also a mom, a single mom. Tell us about your baby. I am.
1: Uh, my daughter will be um, three years old in about two months.
0: <laughs> Congratulations. Congratulations. Um, she-
1: Thank you. Um, and she will be starting school in August or half day. She'll be starting at a Montessori half day. So yeah. got a lot of things to to do.
0: No no kidding. Well, so you've got mm-hmm. your hands full in, in lots of ways. So if you were, so you're always ready to be deployed. You're either at work or you're at home with your baby. And, and uh, you can handle all of this at the same time somehow.
1: Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> Sometimes better than I don't others. Do it, <laughs> I don't do it alone. Um, I have a lot of family support, and, uh-huh. and that's how I get a lot of it done. Without, without them, I wouldn't be where I am today. So Of course. It's a lot of family support.
0: Well, let's talk about that for just a minute because none of us do mm-hmm. this alone, do we? None of us get mm-hmm. to school alone or through school alone or succeed in our career. So you have an ultimate goal that your family and you have been kind of sharing. Your ultimate goal is what?
1: So my ultimate goal would be to be a chief executive officer Hmm. or a chief operating officer of a hospital. That would be my ultimate career goal.
0: And so you've also had training preparing for that. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that, please.
1: Um, So in preparation for that, I attended Trinity University um, to get a their executive program of, of the Masters of Healthcare Administration, so I, it was a little less than two years, the program, um, but I did that in preparation of my, of my career goal.
0: And that's that's really so impressive i mean when we start out with a child care center <laughs> several years ago and then it's been a long journey it's been a long journey mijalinda and and then all the way through school through Stell, and then hannah and then ut pan am ut austin back to pan am in a hospital in the navy reserves as an officer and and now a single mom and now you're ready uh with your training your master's degree from trinity uh, to then take the next step so uh, mm-hmm. someday you'll be calling me up and uh, to tell me that that perhaps that opportunity has come through and we'll do another interview with you because it's just very exciting to, to know of your path and your your progress let me ask you a couple more questions um, mm-hmm. there are always people that help us and you were t- starting to begin uh, to talk about people who had helped along the way and that this isn't done mm-hmm. by yourself who are the people? Are there a couple of people that you kind of think, boy, I just could never have done this without them?
1: Yes. Um, the first person hands down, uh, my mom. Um, I, I wouldn't be where I am today and I couldn't continue doing what I am doing today without her. Um, like you said, I'm a single parent. So a lot of times I am called away with, with the reserves and, you know, she is the one that helps me take care of my daughter, mm-hmm. um, you know, make sure that I don't have that worry that, mm. you know, wh- who am I leaving my daughter with? She, she. I mean, I can't even explain what she means to me, but mm-hmm. my mom is the number one. Um, the second person that helped me, I guess, see my potential or get me to where i you know, began my this whole career is uh, Mr. Samora, my counselor. You know, without him, I probably wouldn't have heard of the UT Pan American Cooperative Pharmacy Program because he's the the one that told me. You know, the program's available. You should apply, and I'm going to help you uh, apply and get get to where you want.
0: So it, uh, there are always um, twists and turns in our lives, and it's also it's very helpful for our students to get to hear. Uh, some advice, some consejos from you uh, uh, those who have already made it through that journey or on their way. Pretend you have a, a group of students here in front of you today that are listening to your story and wondering, well, but that's Yvette. You know, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I could be that strong and that persistent and that successful. Mm-hmm. What kind of consejos would you give our students? Um, you know,
1: the, the advice that and I I mean I always t- even tell myself this sometimes when I want to give up on stuff is uh, you know don't give up if you set your goal and your mind to what you want to do and and you know just keep trying as as long as it takes you to get there um, you know not not everything in life is easy and I know people say that often but and it's it's not you're going to have challenges you're going to experience things that you know, you probably didn't expect in life, um, you know, but just take it as a a learning experience and and keep going forward.
0: That's wonderful advice, Yvette. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today, for teaching us about a well-worn path, a long path, but really that started out of the university and for many, many years stayed it on a campus from Brownsville to Edinburgh to Austin and back again to Edinburgh and now continues uh, to help other students uh, in their own paths. Uh, We really appreciate you taking the time to tell your story and we congratulate you. And we want to hear from you again as you continue on. So please uh, stay in touch with us.
1: I will. Thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Al
0: contrario. Hasta pronto, Yvette. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Next Generation, a program highlighting the next generation of leaders in the Rio Grande Valley and beyond.